So there's been a lot in the news lately about dishonesty and what really is a lie. We've got politics, of course, and we're in the thick of a big circus, and this is the middle of the political season where every single day it seems we'd be exploring what does honesty really mean? Is it a lie when you just come out and say, well, that's what I heard? Or how about The Honest Company with uh, Jessica Alba, and they were accused of lying about the ingredients of what is in their detergent. And it came down literally to what do you mean by molecules in the chemical structure of something called sodium cocosulfate versus sodium lauryl sulfate. Now, of course, this is the week for spring break where, let's face it, the words, I promise you, Dad, that's going to ring through the land with the same kind of resonance that the host when the restaurant says to you, your table's going to be ready in just a few minutes. We're surrounded by this cloud of, is it or isn't it? How do you react when you hear things like, of course I won't laugh, I promise. Or when your significant other says, how do I look? Or when the credits to Downton Abbey roll and you say to yourself, okay, just one more episode. Or when you're running late and the text comes says, where are you? And you say, five minutes out, when you know you're 20 minutes out. Or perhaps the most common lie of all, I have read and agreed to the terms and conditions. Click. Well, that's our theme for this week's show, folks. Dishonesty, lies, damn lies, and statistics. You ready? Let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 123 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, March 20th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the most trusted man in content, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? (laughs) I'm doing fantastic. Do you think anyone noticed the difference in how we produce this week's show. I absolutely think they noticed, and I absolutely think we're going to either get lots of hate mail about this or... Hopefully lots of compliments. We it's an experiment. We wanted to try something new here and it's not like it's a huge difference. No. I mean we're just breaking it up difference. a little bit. I mean exactly. it's you know, but you're right. Usually we change anything about the show. We get lots of mean tweets. That's Maybe right. that's our next episode. We'll just do mean we tweets. We could just read mean tweets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, like what it. were you thinking? Are you crazy? <laughs> Unbelievable. So uh Very you know, before good. we get into the show, yeah, I just absolutely. I have to do our two little promotions. First of all, for Content Marketing World, this is a coupon code for just PNR, the sold marketing listeners. Uh, the coupon code is all caps PNR200, saves you $200 off of Content Marketing World 2016. Go to contentmarketingworld.com to register, and we are super excited about Oh, and, and we just announced Cheap Trick. Did you I, see that? I, I could not be more excited. Are you kidding me? I know. Your dad is all right. Your mom is all right. <laughs> I mean, come on. I know. That it is, is. And plus, you know, they just made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so it's fitting that they're coming back to Surrender. Cleveland. I know. Surrender. Oh, my God. I'm going to be going nuts. It's going to be crazy. We could just make this whole episode you singing. Cheap trick no, songs. No, 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 no. Nobody wants them. We've, no. we've enough of the disruption and, and change. There, by the way, there yeah. is. It's not just all fun and games in content marketing world. We are going to actually do some education stuff. We are, content marketing. but anyway, yeah. this code is two hundred dollars off. Ends the end of March, two thousand sixteen. PNR two hundred to save you two hundred dollars off. Contentmarketingworld.com. And then the other coupon code is our open enrollment for CMI University ends. 
on March 31st. And this old marketing listeners get $100 off access to that program, that curriculum, brand new curriculum, uh, wonderful curriculum they put together there, Robert. And if you would like to save $100 off that access and subscription is for 12 months, so you get it the whole year. Uh, is CMI podcast all lowercase? So CMI podcast lowercase. <laughs> we'll get you a hundred dollars yeah, off. <laughs> uh, we're super excited about the curriculum. Class size has grown by thirty percent this year, so we're exceptionally excited about that, and want you all to be along for the ride. So those are the two promos I got to get out. Now I guess we can get into the meat. Absolutely, the and it was an exciting week actually, and hopefully that feeds up to the theme of the week here and. We start out with our top story here from, of all people, the FTC, the Federal oh, Trade Commission. Yes. Yeah, exactly, right? The, that wonderful journalistic uh, scion of the of, of the world, the Federal Trade Commission, who announced that Lord & Taylor, and first of all, Lord & Taylor is still a thing? I, who knew? Who, who would figure that? But anyway, Lord & Taylor settles FTC charges that it deceived customers with native advertising. Here we go. Right, we talked about this many, many times on the show, and it's—I guess—it's finally coming down. National yep. retailer Lord and Taylor has agreed to settle Federal Trade Commission charges that it deceived consumers by paying for native advertisements, including a seemingly objective article in the online publication Nylon and a Nylon Instagram post, without disclosing that the posts actually were paid promotions for the company's 2015 Design Lab clothing connection. So, uh, what do you make of this? Is this the first of many, or is this? Sort of just them making an example out of somebody so that uh, everybody gets all scared. I think it's probably the first of many, but I don't think that's the story. I don't think the story is the FTC is finally doing something about this. I think the story is where they're laying the blame. Well, fa- that's exactly this my is the, as well. That's I, exactly my – was like, why didn't Nylon read, get in trouble for this? I read this thing three times yeah, looking exactly. for Nylon, looking for the publisher and what responsibility the publisher bears for not placing advertisement or paid content next to any of this. They, there's nothing. Right. So basically the entire burden is placed on Lord & Taylor, the, the brand buying the media. And so this is a this is an interesting precedent where marketers out there need to know that you might want to twist the arm of your publisher to to get whatever uh, to get paid advertisement or sponsored content taken off, but they don't bear the responsibility. They can do it at the end of the day. It's, it's your fascinating. Fault. I I I I have this image in my head of some marketing person at Lord and Taylor literally twisting the arm and holding it behind them and just like push the button, press the Instagram. You better press it, or you better press. And so it's like they they hit the publish button on their Instagram account. It's like I don't understand why they bear no responsibility in this at all. There has to be something there. But the interesting thing is, I mean, this adds up. So they did the fifty select influencers that did the um, yeah. that did the the Instagram posts, and you've got the the other stuff that went on. And I guess it's sixteen thousand dollars per act per per violation. Yeah, but don't so, remember. Mean, if you keep keep in mind the active verb there is settles. It's not. Uh, they yeah, didn't pay, they I didn't know. pay that much money. I'm I'm sure they. And didn't. even if they did, that that's a rounding error in their media budget. I mean, it's not. This is not. This is a. This is a nice, wonderful press release for the FTC, and and it. I mean, you know, look. I don't mean to make complete trivia out of it. It's 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 probably a meaningful amount for for most companies. But I, if I had to guess, I would say this is. You know, a, a rounding error against their home ad media budget. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. But I guess in if we're just looking at the whole program here, now we know that if you are going to compensate anyone for social posts, 
You need to be they need to be transparent about that and say so in the Instagram uh, contents. Uh, they have to do it in the Twitter contents, in the Facebook post, whatever the case is, or you can be punished if you're paying for that. Uh, and anything on native ad placements, of course, that has to be notated as a piece of sponsored content, paid content of some kind, or you will be punished for that. And I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, but publishers could do anything they want. Right? Yeah, I, it looks like it. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't, just... which just blows my mind. Are you kidding me? I mean, how can you do that? And what am well, I missing you know, and, here? Well, you know what is funny here is is that all of these, you know, and which we've talked we talked about last week, we've talked about the week before, we'll talk about on this show are the publishers that are now starting their own agencies and are actually advising in many cases their clients to do this kind of program. Yes. And so here you might have a publisher that, quite frankly, has no skin in the game. They can they can propose all the weird sort of, you know, stuff that they like and understanding. Now, I have a feeling that the smart ones will start to make disclosures and say, hey, listen, you know, this is, you know, this is a little above the line. Yeah, this one's crossing the line a little bit. So you may want to be careful about this, et cetera, et cetera. But it's very odd to me that the publisher here, they didn't even – they didn't even slap them on the wrist. It no. wasn't even like, well, this is really a bad thing. And the interesting thing is, is that everything up until this point has been all about the publisher, right? When we when we were really yelling at the yep. you know the native advertisers um, of you know of the last two, three, four years, you know, of course, the poster child here is the Atlantic article with the Scientology article, and they got lambasted in this. But nobody's yelling at Nylon at all for this. It all seems – all the blame seems to be going to the brand here, which is, you know, a little baffling to me. But but it, indeed, it's it, it, this may be the precedent going forward. I mean, it, it makes it easy for the publishers. To, let's, <clears throat> uh, let's say a brand comes to you and says, hey, I want to do this program, but I don't want anything on advertising around it. The publisher can say, hey, you know, we would and we can, but just so you know, the FTC is going to slap you with – I mean, they're going to get you. Sure, and, here, exactly. and here's this president right, right here. So it takes a little pressure off the publisher, but I I have to imagine that the next time we're going to see this, it's got to be joint punishment. I just can't think it, it or, goes one way or, or the well, other. Or the market will correct itself, and what you'll start to see is brands build in clauses into their contract to say, if the FTC comes down on this, if you do something that basically gets us in trouble, we're not, you know, there'll yeah. be some financial penalty around this. Yeah. I guess the last thing, and I, and I don't even know where, where to take this thing, but now that a ruling has come down, this, this isn't just for brand marketers, for, this is for everybody. I mean, everybody's website, I think you have to have some very, very um, detailed disclosures yeah. As to who owns the the brand here, like I mean, you and I have you know how many times have we fought over Baby Center and those types of things. I think you're going to have to have something on the site that says <laughs> we're going to fight about it this show. When no, I'm sure we are, but but very simply, <laughs> it needs to be uh, visible. It needs to be easy to get to, and you need to say here's here's who we are, and here's where our biases are, and I don't know how transparent you're going to get, but I think this is where we're heading. Because I think now you're now that there's been some penalty, you're going to go into like an over compliance mode. I think. So. Yeah, I think you're absolutely yeah. right. All right, then. Well, let's move on to our next story of the show. And this next story, Joe, is amazing. You won't believe what happens at the three minute and twelve <laughs> mark. It's called "How Easy Sleazy Money Is Ruining Publishers' Reputations." This story comes to us courtesy of PubExec.com. 
And it starts out with a few headlines. The 19 hottest female politicians around the globe. Donald Trump's advice for paying off a mortgage. It's genius. What these 31 Bond girls look like now, it's incredible. So in the past few days, these sleazy headlines have graced the websites of some of the world's most respected and prestigious magazine titles. It's part of the troubling, penny-wise, pound-foolish trend that seems to be sweeping the consumer magazine industry, says this article in its lead. Through deals with recommendation engine vendors like Outbrain and Taboola, publishers are being paid to publish these tacky come-ons to boost the web track of a truly awful, disreputable websites. The typical recommendation engine widget is a row of five or six titles, each tile containing a clickbait headline and a little photo that either startles or teases. So what do you what did you think about this article here? Is this what is this so continuing our sort of theme here, what what is what is the message here for marketers? Well, I think the first thing is about this article is the problem is not with marketers uh, buying these types of placements and recommendations engine, engines or other publishers. If you look at exactly, the, yeah. If you if you look at the majority, so so go to any one of these. Let's go. I mean, they use an example of Wired, so you know, prestigious media brand, and you go down to the bottom, and there's recommendations, and and the 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 article talks about the problem is is it, it's so off of what the content is. Where like you'll get into the hottest female politicians on a technology article, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Why is it there? It's not in line with the brand vision or anything like that. Now. If you've got five or six advertisers there that are trying to get clicks through whatever recommendation they're using, recommendation engine they're using, they're almost all publishers because they're all trying to take away traffic and put it to their their own websites to then monetize that themselves directly. Sure. So this well, is just the publishers just killing each other with this kind of thing, and and, and across and across networks too. Yeah, across yeah. you know across you know sort of one of the strategies now with the with the the publishers is to take their network of magazines and sort of network them. Together with these recommendation engines and stuff like that, and I could not agree more. This is a, this is a, you know, and I can tell you that the CEOs of these companies, the Outbrains, the Taboolas, these content recommendation engines, are really concerned about this. This is what at a conference one time I had a lengthy discussion with one of the CEOs of that company, and and he told me he said he called it the girl in a bikini problem. Because in almost every case, you scroll down and you're on CNN or any of these sort of websites that feature this kind of um, syndicated content, and you see a girl in a bikini. And there's some, you know, untoward headline that's sort of teasing you to come in and, 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 uh, and click on this thing. And it's a real problem because for marketers, the challenge is, is that we want to use these things to help us buy some traffic and buy some exposure on some of these websites to pull people into our content that we hope is educational or entertaining or in some way meaningful to that customer. And quite frankly, the more that it sits alongside these sort of horrific, you know, sort of, ugh, you know, publisher sort of ad strewn, you know, carousel, click through, no page sort of refresh kind of interfaces – the less effective those things are going to be in time. And quite frankly, I think you can start to see that market just really take a nosedive. Yeah, so they're going to, they're going to, they're going to ruin this thing. This, you know, this nice, wonderful thing that they had, they're going to actually ruin it by, by, by doing this. Well, and we've talked about this with native advertising. It's the same thing with content recommendation engines. I mean, there, there are as good to be had there. And there's also some things that aren't so good. And if, the publishers are killing themselves because the last line of this says, after all, credibility is like virginity. Once it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> That's, That's the last line. line of this That's article. Yeah. And th- 
I'm, I'm actually doing a presentation for a couple media companies in a few weeks, and I'm talking about native advertising, when to use it and when not to. And if it at all affects your credibility, the answer is no. Right. The answer That's is exactly no, right. no matter how good the money is. But the thing is, is they're desperate for money and revenue. So these things look really good because you can make a lot of money from this stuff. Now, the one thing that I would say – now. We like like CMI. We we use a recommendation engine, but we use it to turn up our own content. That's we right. love it for that. I absolutely love using a recommendation engine on a particular article. Somebody scrolls down, and at the end of that article, there's four or five articles there from our own site. <clears throat> so you can use these recommendations to unearth content that you have. That's right. Uh, so it's I, a great, and that's know. a that's a great point because in many cases. And this is a good takeaway for marketers that are out there looking, that are especially those that are in larger uh, global matrix companies that have lots of owned media properties and lots of content going out to multiple websites and multiple blogs and multiple social channels. That's a really great application of those content syndication engines to sort of limit it to just your content. So you basically take the lesson of what publishers are doing there by basically saying this is only going to – we're only going to include recommended articles to articles that are within our network, and you can do the same thing. You can actually only recommend articles that are within your network or within sites that you trust. You know, whether it's your partners, whether it's your, um, you know, whether it's people that you do business with, it's your customers. It's you know, so you can feature content and and really do a and it takes a lot of work, but basically create a whitelist of sites that you're only going to allow here. And again, this is a. This is a reminder that we're not after the same thing that those publishers are after with those bikini clicks, right? We don't care about those that viral traffic. We care about meaningful people coming for something to take an action. And that's an advantage we have, quite frankly, and um, it's something that we, we're just going to have to get over. Well, the reselling of traffic is getting crazy. I mean, I talked to a publisher about six months ago, and he was talking about using recommendation engines like this, and he had it down to the penny. And he's like, I, if I if I get to, if it's thirteen cents here, and I can resell it for fourteen cents, I'm going to do it all day long. And he just keeps running and rolling and rolling and rolling it, and that's how they and that's how they do it. It's they crazy. monetize it that it's way. Arbitrage really, traffic is it absolutely is, is nuts. And then you're a marketer trying to get in here that you're trying to promote your own content programs, and it's messy. So I mean. I, I'm hoping it gets a little bit better. I mean, I don't. By the way, it's not always like this. I mean, you, there are you do go to certain sites that that limit the the the, the publishers that they're getting their right uh, or publishers or marketers that they're getting those recommendations from, and it's much cleaner. So I think if you're going to use it, you need to clean it up and you need to set parameters to it. But if you if publishers there there is an opportunity cost against this. If you lose credibility, or maybe you don't want to send that traffic away, and the the article goes through that and makes some really compelling points about lead generation deals and programmatic ads and subscriptions. That instead of sending people away to another publisher site or marketer site, you could keep them on site with your own content. Exactly so. right. That's exactly right. All right. Enough about that then, and let's move on to our next story, which comes to us courtesy of Forrester. Yes, that's right. The analyst firm Forrester.com, and specifically one of the blogs there by uh, Jessica Liu. I'm going to assume her last name is pronounced. And the headline of her blog post, um, which has been covered in other magazines, and we just happened to pick this one to link to in the show notes, but Instagram loses its Insta. And 
this is sort of we've it i mean here it comes it's we've predicted it all along and instagram is the twitter is there facebook is there linkedin is getting there and instagram is now there announcing this week that it is joining facebook and twitter and ditching its own clean chronological feed in favor of an algorithm based personalized feed no one is surprised to see this um and basically what does this mean well the article says instagram's initial appeal was its simplicity mobile only pictures only square size only, chronological order, and one-way friendship. In the last year, Instagram has abandoned those simple principles by introducing an inordinate number of ads, varying visual styles, autoplay videos, seemingly resulting in a 40% drop in interaction rate in 2015. Dun-dun-dun. Is Is this them trying to painstakingly figure out a monetization model, Joe, or is this them sort of just joining the rest of the choir? Well, since Facebook owns Instagram, I have and they've been able to, as we were talking in the last episode, eating the world, which they're, <laughs> they, which they're in the process of doing right now. I have no doubt that Instagram is going to figure this out. That whatever the whatever the interaction rate they need to to uh, best monetize the site through advertising and sponsorship, they're going to figure it out. I, I'm not concerned about the forty percent drop in interaction rate. I don't whether that's true or not doesn't matter to me. I think that right. Instagram is going to figure it out. Uh, how to use this? They're not, they're not going to. They're doing well. They're, do, they're doing despite really well. All of that, they're doing and, really, really well in terms of the way they've been able to monetize the platform. I mean, certainly, you can't put them in the same bucket as Twitter um, with regard to the number of changes they made and the amount that they've been able to monetize. While Twitter has been burning through cash, Instagram has been making money. So yeah. And I'm going to talk, and I have a, a rave that I'm talking about that, that really focuses on this issue a little bit. But I mean, it, all the stuff that we've been talking about for the last two and a half years are, is coming true. We've been saying it's going to go complete pay to play, and here we are. And if and if you aren't going to go pure play, pay to play as a brand, you've got to make every post you have count. Because if you put a post out there that doesn't fit in the algorithm in so, in some way, everything you do is going to take a hit. So you better put out some really epic stuff, right? Or it's just going to kill everything you're doing. Or you could just advertise, which is what they want you to do. So it's just it's just interesting to see that this is all actually coming true. I mean, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't know it. You know, I didn't know know it. But now we know it. It's one of those things where you like wake up and go, "Wow, I was right. I'm so surprised I was right. This is like it's shocking that I'm correct. I'm I'm actually right." And then you have to check yourself to go, "Wait a minute. What what are we doing here?" Well, I feel like we've been doing something noble here over the podcast. Oh for the back no, two years. We we've been actually You're talking. No, it's two not. knuckleheads just. But at least we've been right about on. this. We've been yes. wrong about everything else, but we've been right about this. Exactly so. right. Yeah, exactly I don't know. Right. I mean, so what's the the takeaway is, uh, yeah, we told you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Is there anything else right. to say? Well, the takeaway here is is that it's, you know, once I think, you know, I mean, for good and for bad, Instagram is moving ever so quickly toward a paid platform, right? Where paid, you know, social media will become, a, you know, and the idea of paying for presence on Instagram will be, you know, a wonderful way to pull people into, hopefully, your owned media experience. And so... You know, here it is—the rented land. The rent just went up a little, a little more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All so, right. There we go. Um, moving on to a story that's just fascinating to me here. Um, this one comes to us courtesy of Neiman Labs, um, and it's about NPR. 
Um, and the headline is NPR decides it's not going to promote its podcasts or NPR One on air. The article starts out by saying NPR, sort of like the Associated Press and the major broadcast network, a creature of its own structure. NPR is an entity based in Washington, D.C. Public radio includes it, but it also has other radio distributors like PRI, APM, PRX, and most importantly, the over 900 NPR member stations that dot the landscape. And these players don't always have the same interests. A local station's greatest asset is the connection to the local community symbolized by the broadcast tower that uniquely lets it reach radio listeners in cars and homes. NPR's greatest asset is the value of its audience and that where it sees in its content and its brand, it might be delivered via a radio signal, a website, a mobile app, or a podcast. This tension between the local stations who pay the largest share of NPR's bills and the network that sees a future beyond terrestrial radio signals is basically everywhere you look in in public radio. And now they've stopped promoting their digital and podcast in on air because of this tension. As the uh, Chris Turpin, NPR's vice president for news programming, said, quote, as podcasts grow in number and popularity, we were talking about them more and more in our news programs. We were also fielding more and more questions from news staff and member stations about our policies for referring to podcasts on air. To that end, we want to establish some common standards, especially for the language in back announces. Our hope is to establish basic principles that are easy to understand and allow plenty of flexibility and creativity. These guidelines apply to all podcasts, whether produced by NPR or other entities. Now, you come from Radio Joe. It, that read to me like, yeah, we're laying down, putting the foot on the neck of our of our announcers to not say anything more about podcasts because we're hearing it from the local stations. What did yeah. you think about that? Yeah, the the dis- I mean, even if you look at it from the manufacturing sector, the distributors are telling the manufacturers what to do. Right. And they're saying... Hey, uh, we don't like that fitting because this it, it's it's harder for us to install. So you're going to have to make the old fitting and just forget about that other one. And if you want to use it someplace else, that's fine, but don't mess with us. Right. And the first thing I thought of, because you use it in every master class, is uh, right now NPR doesn't know if it's in the railroad business or the transportation it's business. exactly right. Right. I thought you'd appreciate that. It's, uh, thank you very much. This is exactly what I thought of. It's when I heard this, when I saw this article, what Joe's referring to is something in the master class, which is a quote um, from Theodore Levitt, who is my one of my marketing heroes of all time, who made famous the phrase the railroads didn't understand that they were in the transportation business and not the railroad business. And this is exactly it. This is them still being in the wagon wheel business and not understanding that the transportation business is where they should be and that really distributing content over whatever medium is ultimately what's going to make them successful. And this, you know, this this will not end well. I can tell you that. This is not going to end well because of the popularity of podcasts and the popularity of digital media. Radio is for whatever, you know, radio may always exist. But it is an ever more fragmented space to distribute content, and therefore, ignoring it is not going to make it go away. I think that they're now. Yeah, obviously, this is a purely political mood move, and uh, all the experts that are commenting on this are saying this is not good. I mean, you could see it. You, yeah. you could see it's it's just reeking with with politics. They're either going to go down in flames, or they're going to figure this thing out, and they're going to have to work with the the. Uh, separately owned stations 
and say, look, we've got to get this in here or there. We've got to structure it this way because it makes no sense. Now, hey, if I'm a radio station owner, I get I get this. I don't want to send other people. If I don't get a cut of that those revenues, then I don't want to send people over. So they could do something like that. They could just work out a deal and they could say, look, we're going to give you X percent of these revenues in your area. They're not going to want to do that, by the way. But right. they could. Right. They could do that. They could share it with everyone. Uh, so they could do that kind of thing. They could say, "Look, we're going to we're going to change our distribution structure altogether." They can go find new distributors, uh, which is very tough because they've had a lot of these loyal stations around for a long time. So that's what they could do. Um, I don't know. I mean, is there something else that you see coming out of this? Well, Those they could the sort of. I, was yeah, I mean, I think that's. I mean, I think you've nailed it. And the first one is probably the the most likely of solutions that that would really work here. Which is, you know, I mean, you know, you can start to see it now happening in broadcast television, where especially with. So I don't know if you've noticed, but there has been a very subtle but purposeful reconstruction of the late night television talk show. So if you look at Jimmy Kimmel and um, you know all of them, really, there has been a subtle shift in the way that they program. They are now much more sort of variety shows almost than they are even the standard talk shows. Where then when they ha- when they have a guest out now, and Kimmel does this, um, Jimmy Fallon does this, certainly Colbert now does this, where they actually put them in some scenario, right? And that scenario is two or three minutes long. And the reason they do that, of course, is because that makes a great YouTube clip and it makes a great digital clip that, of course, they can sell more advertising and sell more uh, sponsorship against. And all of that is just basically restructuring the way that they create. They'll air the broadcast media. Then the very next day, those little clips can come out and go viral in their own particular way, and they can monetize that in different ways. It all supports the mothership, right? It all supports yep. the giant network that produces this content. And in the same way, an NPR is going to really be thinking about restructuring and relooking at this, I think, in a way that makes that work for them. Because that shared revenue, that shared purpose and shared goal is the only way to evolve the company into a new competitive advantage. Every media company goes through this. Exactly. I mean, it's so, just to tell you a quick story, because it it just so reminds me of this. I mean, when I started at Penton, we didn't have any digital revenue at all. It was all print. And then digital came along and they were like, how do we sell this? Because the, the print salespeople in the territories, they didn't have a clue what to do. It's like, well, what do we do? Well, let's just hire a digital salesperson. <laughs> yeah. So the digital salesperson was responsible <laughs> right. for all of it. And the digital salesperson got all the commission. Well, guess what <laughs> happened? The print salespeople got upset. And they said, well, shoot, that, that's my advertiser. That's my, my sponsor, my client for 20 years. They just bought from this digital guy over here that hasn't been in the field for two months or whatever, taking my money. Well, what do they do? They gave the print salesperson a percentage of that revenue. He didn't feel so bad anymore. Exactly. It's like, oh, okay. Well, then you know what happened two years later? There was no digital salesperson because you, either, if you were a print salesperson, you either evolved and you became a salesperson that sold everything or you were gone. That's so it's right. just interesting, and that happened over a two- to three-year period. So I could see something like this sort of happening. They've got to figure out – the first thing is it's happening. To- it's happening now on the brand side too, by the way, right? I, there have been plenty of clients I've worked with over the last year where you meet the vice president of digital marketing, and then there's the vice president of oh, yes. regular Absolutely. marketing, and one of them is in the wrong spot. One of them is not going to – one of them is going to start working for the other at some point. 
or be gone altogether. Well, right. You know, because there's no you reason. You can just smell there's it. There's no Absolutely. reason. Exactly. You can, you can smell it. <laughs> I can, you can smell fear. You can, I smell, <laughs> I smell your fear. <laughs> so, God. So, yeah, I, th- this is going to, I think in the next six months, we're going to be doing another story. They're going to have this figured out because if they don't, this is not good. Yeah. At all. It's not good. All right. Our last story for the show is um, comes to us courtesy of The Guardian. We've been right around the world um, in this show. The Guardian uh, says Vice Media attacked for marketing tobacco adverts for Philip Morris. The article starts out by saying Vice has been condemned as irresponsible by campaigners for using its expertise targeting young people to make ads for tobacco companies, uh, Philip Morris. Vice's role, now here's the important part, Vice's role in making content for one of the world's largest tobacco companies, maker of cigarette brands, including Marlboro, was revealed on Thursday by the Financial Times. A vice spokesperson confirmed that the work was carried out by Edition Worldwide, a separate company owned by Vice. That's their agency that produces content for advertisers. Here's the important piece. The ads will not carry Vice branding, will not run on Vice content properties, nor will they be shown to people in the U.S. or U.K., as both countries have strict rules prohibiting tobacco advertising. However... Carolyn Rensley, I guess, uh, from the Campaign for Tobacco of Free Kids, said that the company should not be using its experience targeting young people to help the tobacco company sell cigarettes. Fascinating article to me. Um, to me, it's it, this is, you know, I mean, what did you think about this? I have totally have a take on this, but I want to I want to hear what you have to say first. Yeah, my, my take my take was, and not that we are all condoning uh, marketing tobacco to kids. So no, of course but my, not. But, but course my not. take. No, absolutely not. I don't even want to see it done. But, uh, but maybe. But maybe. <laughs> why is why is it different that Vice is doing it? Is is it different? Is is it Vice because Vice is a media company and they understand content, or they they're they're a little bit different than a traditional agency? They are an agency within a media company. That's, That's right. what this is. So why are they held to a different standard than any other agency that have done this over the years for Marlboro or any other tobacco companies? That's, That's right. what I didn't get. I'm like. I didn't get the premise here. I mean, I see what's going on here, well, but okay, is it because it's Vice and because they're a media company? As, and I guess that's it, right? I mean, I mean, this. I mean, well, <laughs> the irony that the name of the company is Vice Media. Is, <laughs> I'm like, not even gonna go that. Do they, down do that they road. just come back to the campaign for tobacco for kids <laughs> and say, uh, duh, yeah, our, we're Vice? Have, do you media? see our name of our company? Yeah, no, exactly. But it, it, I, you know. To me, this is exactly right. Now, maybe this group, um, and this is certainly not to take umbrage with the group, because I think what they're doing is, is that, I mean, they're doing God's work out there, trying to get tobacco out of the hands of kids. So I'm in no way critiquing them. But I'm hoping they're taking the same umbrage with other agencies as well, because looking at this is is and singling out a content company, because it's a content company providing this, is is... It's where to me, it's like, where do you start drawing the line about what yep. a content company is able to do and what it's not able to do? This is this goes in the bigger picture of things. When we start talking about, you know, we, we talked about, I don't know, 10 shows or 20 shows ago where we were looking at, we were saying, you know, it's interesting that when a media company sells products, you know, when Disney sells uh, dolls or when Lego sells bricks through the idea of the creation of content. 
And we go, yes, of course. Well, that's just the way we do business. But when a product company sells content or a product company starts to develop content and we go, well, that's weird. Why would they get into journalism or why would they get into telling the news when they're a product company? It just feels weird, right? It just there's, – there's something jarring about that when it should absolutely be the exact same thing. And so the interesting thing to me here is, is that this is the, underneath all of the sort of um, – politics around tobacco and whatnot. This is the same this is the same issue, right? This is the same thing that we're dealing with here, which is why would agencies be held to a different standard, better or worse, than a content company that is now creating content and advertising for product companies? And it's, well that's the thing, right? We don't see we've been around long enough to notice there really isn't any difference. But right. people see a difference. And maybe the this the other thing is this group's probably been going after Marlboro for years and it's like, well okay, that worked really well. So <laughs> yeah. let's let's right. mix it up and go after somebody else. And I right. get that. I mean, they're looking for and this is good. It's good publicity, actually. Yeah. They're, what, yeah. what they're doing. Oh, let's go after the media company. It just it doesn't make any sense. So a good story for them. Uh, I hope it I hope it worked, but it just didn't yeah. make any sense. Exactly. Today. Well, speaking of amazing content and speaking of just wonderful, wonderful companies, there we have a sponsor that is just. So fantastic. And it, 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 it just – it's time to talk about how awesome the content that they produce for us is. Well, we have to. Uh, I know. Because we're paid to do so. That's but also exactly right. Because we do believe Here's in your disclaimer, too. folks. Here's yeah, the- this is a paid spot, folks. <laughs> but we do love the folks at GoToWebinar because of these facts. Webinars are consistently rated as the number one marketing tactic for lead generation with over 60% of all marketers utilizing webinars. But – but maybe <laughs> many businesses still struggle with how to find their target audience and deliver the right message. You and I know this. I mean, how many so webinars well. are you yeah, and I on exactly. where it just doesn't make sense with some of these that we're dealing with? So people need help. Follow this simple five-step plan from our friends at GoToWebinar. They will show you the keys to using webinars for successful lead generation and will help you go from daunting to doable. Yes, hashtag, I did say it for the fourth hashtag. week in a row. From finding your audience and developing engaging content to authentic interaction and webinar promotion, you'll discover the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar. Let's do this. Read the ebook at bit.ly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience. That's bit.ly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience. That's the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar. Please support our sponsors. We truly appreciate it. And thanks again to our friends at GoToWebinar for coming through for us yet again. And I believe they've uh, they've got a couple more months coming up this year. So we're going to be talking a lot about GoToWebinar, thankfully so. That's absolutely true, and and thank you so much to those guys. They're they're just such a wonderful sponsor, and really really appreciate it. And it's great content too. Let me just be honest; it's 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 really good content too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your favorite segment of the show. It is our rants and rave section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, well, the world's being dishonest to us, and we're just angry, or. That the world is truthful and lovely and full of unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> and so, um, I guess I'm going uh, – you're going first, actually. I'm going first. You have this old marketing. I have this, have old, this marketing old marketing this week. Darn straight. Let me do this one. Hey, so, <laughs> again, thanks to the illustrious James Gardner 
for passing this article our way. Actually, James this artic- like a story producing machine. I'll tell you, I don't okay. know what I would do without James. I'm, I'm like, gonna have to make I, him I like need a, a regular or a rant, and I just go and I just I yeah. just look up everything James has sent me, and yep. it just works out. Uh, so actually, this article goes hand in hand with the Instagram article we just discussed, as I was talking about before. So the title here from the article tech, in TechCrunch is "Algorithmic Feeds Force Us to Compete." Now, to me, this is the reality check that most marketers need. If they're not listening to this program, they need to read this article. So and I'm going to take out bits and pieces from this article. I think it's interesting. The article says, the free ride is over. Businesses can't use these platforms as unlimited marketing channels anymore. The hard sell will fade from view in favor of actual entertainment. Rather than a mix of content posts and more straightforward marketing, each gram and tweet will need to be laced with delight or risk obscurity. Now, the article goes on to discuss how if the algorithms are to work in your favor, you need to perfect attention to each one. We were talking about this before. Like, If you're really going to do this and focus on building an audience on these platforms, Every one of these things has to be perfect because you'll get penalized if they don't. Like you really have to almost focus and say, look, we're going to really focus on Instagram or we're going to really focus on Twitter and understand that algorithm really well so that you can actually be found. So you got, that means you're taking away anything promotional, anything that you think is not valuable enough, you don't do it. Or as we talked about before, you just buy advertising, which is frankly what they want you to do. Now, the one thing that I had a problem with this article, so my small rant here, is at the end of this article, they talk about, um, they shine such a positive light on Snapchat. And the end, at the end line, they say, with every other social network asking us to be our best, Snapchat simply asks us to be ourselves. So that, so they're, whoever's writing this for TechCrunch loves Snapchat. Now, the one thing, <laughs> right? Now, here's here's my thing. Do we really believe that Snapchat's going to stay Snapchat, and they won't go the way of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and every other social network and add an algorithm to their normal feed? Well, we've said it for years. I'm going to say it again. You're darn right they are. <laughs> You're right. And there's heard, no way that Snapchat... You've heard it here once. You've heard yeah. it here a million times. Guess what? <laughs> Their Snapchat's going to say, ah, if we just tweak this a little bit, we can add a billion dollars in revenue. Whenever they go public or you know, whenever they get off of the unicorn status and actually start making money, that's when they're going to do it. And I believe they will And in some, in some way and in some time. So, again, thanks again to James. Super great story, article yeah. really on great the story. death of open social. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there we go. There you have it. All right. I love that, actually. Um, so, okay. So I have a rave, too, actually. And this one's going to make a little blood vessel sort of pop out in your head. Um, oh, wonderful. I, I love that. Yeah. It's, um, so this comes courtesy, by the way, huge hat tip to uh, Erica Heald, who also is a story-producing machine, I should say. So regular listener, thank you, Erica. And and tell me on Twitter if I'm pronouncing your name correctly, because we've said it a few times. And they said Heald or sure. Heald. Uh, so I think it's Heald the way it's spelled, but I'm going to I'm okay. going to I'll, I will I will defer to her on Twitter, um, and she'll correct me if I'm wrong here. And this comes courtesy the show uh, in the show notes. We'll link to a, an article here from Ad Age. Um, but the story here is about L'Oreal, who, of course, is the worldwide global French beauty company, has launched an unbranded content platform. 
And as the article opens up, it says, in a world that's all about return on investment, why would a major marketer invest in a global content hub that carries no branding and no e-commerce and happily showcase every rival brand that they uh, compete with? L'Oreal, the world's third biggest marketer with a $5.3 billion budget, according to the Ad Age Data Center, has done just exactly that. They have created this thing called Fab Beauty. Um, and of course, we'll link to this in the show notes so that you've got access to it. It is a low-key site. Um, it looks very much like a Tumblr uh, blog, really, with beautiful sort of tiled images. And I, I went, I really spent some time in this site. And I will tell you, Joe, there is no branding at all in this. There is no L'Oreal logo. There is no L'Oreal branding. You you would not know that it's from L'Oreal. If you go to the About Us page, it's a content brand. They have got a wonderful content mission, as you would define a content mission. The content mission basically says, Fab Beauty is the new online media showcasing beauty of processionals. It takes a look at salons, getting out to discover artisans of beauty and their expertise. So it's targeted to a very niche audience, which again, I and you love, yep, very sure. niche audience, um, basically dedicated, as they say, dedicated to those in the know of beauty, beauty aficionados. So it's salon, it's almost a B2B platform more than anything else. It's, it's really for salon Owners, salon operators, salon workers, you know, basically beauty, um, beauticians and those sorts of things. And you go through there and I will tell you, it's wonderful that at my third or fourth click in, I got hit with a popover saying, would you like to subscribe to our email newsletter? So it's wonderfully focused on an audience. And they interviewed the president of L'Oreal Professional Products, um, who basically said our job is to launch brands and products, but to also endorse the industry of beauty. L'Oreal is looking at fab, not for mass sales, but to secure quality engagement. It's about neutrality, experience, and craft, not about a product. We have other places to do that. And then the guy, one of the people who um, uh, they were they were interviewing some of the agencies that built some of this, and it's built by publicists. Um, and actually, if you go into the About Us and the legal stuff, it's actually built and owned by a publicist um, agency out of uh, Paris. And a guy from Leo Burnett said, interestingly, and I thought this was a wonderful quote, he said, only confident brands can do this. It's a smart way to engage an audience when everybody else is pushing messages. And it's a great test bed. You can use the data that you glean from this to inform all of your brand and your products. And so like Johnson and Johnson's baby center. I like this and I like it unbranded, not because it sells more and not because it gives us better brand awareness, but because as in building and engaging an audience here can give us other lines of value, such as product research, market research, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't fault them. I don't think anybody would be mad if you found out that it's from L'Oreal nor do I think that they should actually come out and say, this is from L'Oreal. I don't, I don't fault them for not, putting into a brand thing and that's my this week's rave well all i have to say to that <laughs> is that this is a missed opportunity <laughs> okay all right yeah this is a beautiful site this is wonderful content there's there's everything right about this except why hide the fact that it's l'oreal why not get why why not get some of the love associated with putting such a wonderful thing out in the industry because that's not the goal that's not the goal if that no, was no, no, the goal no, no. i would yeah, totally the, get it no, that's goal, not the goal the, the goal here is to hide it exactly the goal is to look that's wrong goal, it's right but this is so no, just but to, it's, just, it's just, just, just the theme of they're our hi- show they're just, trying to hide it 
they're not. I, they're not, they're saying, not trying it's not to that, hide it. They just they don't. Could put, they could right. put in the legal mentions. At least this is you know this is this has been monetized, uh, funded by L'Oreal. Why not just that? They don't even have that. They've got a whole separate division. They got it under the agency. I don't get that. Well, What's okay. Now I'll be I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I don't kind of get I kind of don't get that either. I don't understand why in the legalities and stuff they have it as a separate uh, company under the agency. Other than maybe the only thing I can think of is that maybe the agency sort of suggested building this. You know, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Other agencies building sort of products, content products, magazines, and then selling them or renting them in many cases to you know to brands. And this could be that case, right, where the agency actually built something interesting as a digital magazine and then said, look, you can be the sole sponsor of this thing for a year or two years. Remember, we talked about this for, for a few shows back. So I look, this could be very well be an agency endeavor. And they went to L'Oreal and said, hey, listen, we've got this awesome thing. We've got an editor. We've got a staff. We've got great writers. We've got the ability to do great photography. And it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to talk about all your competitors. And you'll be the sole sponsor, the funder of this thing for a year or two years or five years or however long the period lasts. And during that time, you'll get all the insight out of the audience. You'll get pure audience insight and you'll be able to test some messaging. You'll be able to get the data. You'll be able to get all this and you'll, you'll fund the publication of this, uh, yeah. this digital magazine. And that's I, fine. And they need to say that. <laughs> that's fine. They need to say it. There's right. no, we I'm, just I'm, talked about the tobacco companies doing all this kind of stuff. And I'm not, I'm not saying that beauty and tobacco are the same thing. What I'm saying is, is that uh, that Big Tobacco funded a lot of these kinds of projects and didn't put their name behind them. They had a sub company behind sub company, and and because they didn't want people to know they were behind it. Now wait a minute. That's okay, a so p- let me let me let me be, make, let me let me make sure I'm clear. Are you are you are you saying that they need to put their brand in there because it is better marketing, or you need to, they, you think they should put their brand in there because it's disclosure? Disclosure. Okay. All right. I'm not saying. Here's look. the thing: the, the the whole the logo, the content brand, as as our friend Andrew Davis would say, all yep. that stuff. I don't have a problem with, but you have to say somewhere that it's funded by L'Oreal. That's all I'm, I'm saying. Transparency and disclosure. We just talked about your whole opening was on dishonesty. I that's see see how that works. See how it all comes together. See how it's coming. So together? what? So my take to you is this: dishonest. I don't know. I don't think so. It doesn't feel dishonest to me. It does it not feels feel dishonest right. to me. It feels, from your take about, mar- you're right, the marketing goal, it should not be b- branded as L'Oreal. All that stuff feels fine to me. The fact that I searched on every link here and can't find who funded it, that's my, pr- that's, I got a big problem with that. All right. Well, then you're, you're more honest. <laughs> I told you, you're the most trusted man in content. You're the most trusted man in content. And I'm just this dubious, you know, look, I'm a marketing guy. I'm a. I'm a I'm a jerk. I'm just a jerk. Maybe we can both be right. Yeah. No, we maybe can't not. Right. Yeah, yeah. Wait, <laughs> no, I don't no. think that's. Possible. And here's the thing: everybody's going to agree with you. I I think I'm, no, I'm, way, out with, I'm no, way out on a limb. I'm way out on a limb here. I don't no, think everyone that with works me. for Big Tobacco is going to agree with you. <laughs> right. That's all I have to say. Right that's now. awesome. Right. <laughs> that is so perfect. Okay. I'm, yeah. Moving right. on. Uh, I have this old marketing. Yes, you and do. And I am so excited about this one. This is courtesy of uh, your and my friend Jim Kozak sent this over to me via Facebook. And, you know, I love when I get these because, you know, our, our good friends of ours, they say, hey, I think this is a this is a content marketing thing. And wouldn't you know, 
This is a perfect this old marketing example, and it's perfect for this time of year, as you will find out why. So this comes from the New York Times. It's called Want Xavier Plays? Sure, just ask. NewYorkTimes.com. So basketball powerhouse Xavier, who as the time of this airing goes on in about an hour to see if they're going to make it into the Sweet 16 uh, turn for the NCAA tournament, uh, has a bit of expertise in content marketing. So to go back here, in 2001, the basketball program started to send out a regular stapled print newsletter to 800 Ohio area coaches in the hopes of building a better recruitment program. Today, that 800 coach list has ballooned into over 30,000 coaches in 17 countries. It is now an email newsletter. Now, because of their efforts over the years, they have built up relationships with coaches all over the world who use their plays and coaching techniques coming from the e-newsletter. Now, apparently, compared with other college newsletters directed at coaches, Xavier's bears all, according to the New York Times article. They include everything. They include all their plays. They include what they're doing in each of these games. They don't, they don't let, uh, hide anything. They're completely transparent with what they're doing. Now, one newsletter, believe it or not, Robert, was 81 pages long, and another had 20 pages of diagrams and specific plays, depending on the detail needed and what they were talking about. Now, one coach in the article uh, from a very successful high school program in Cincinnati says that he receives other newsletters from other colleges, but nothing holds a candle to Xavier's. Now, when they started the program, their goal was to separate Xavier from the pack, which They obviously have done. And from a very small, not often noticed school, they've become a regular college basketball powerhouse over the last 15 years. And I really believe that nobody knew about this, but I really believe now that the newsletter has something to do with this because there's not a coach that gets that newsletter from around the world that doesn't know about Xavier's programs. And when those high school, those high school coaches, girls and boys coaches are very influential with those players. And when you're bringing up Xavier plays all the time, a lot of that has, has then produced some of the very best talent in the world to go to Xavier. So I just love this uh, example, especially uh, during March Madness. So that's there a, you go. I, that's really cool. That's really, really cool. I, uh, yes. And I caught the transparency thing. And I, I, heard, <laughs> I, I heard that. It's just, yeah, fine. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. No, thanks, Jim Kozak. That was a Thank great Thank you, Jim. Set. That was keep, really great keep stuff. Keep them yeah. coming. That was, yeah. uh, that was fantastic. So. Absolutely. All right. Well, okay. So next week, where are you? I mean, what the heck is going on? Let's see. Oh, you know what? We're, uh, we got I got all kinds of stuff that I have to get done because I'm I'm going on a little golf trip in a little bit as you know and then once I <laughs> once once I get that golf trip the annual golf trip out of the way yeah there, uh, yeah there's no I'm, talking to you while you're on it that's well, for sure well that's for sure but then after that I'm I think it's 6 weeks in a row I'm out I think I've yeah. got three trips to Europe you and I we're going to have a tough time yeah, we're going to be crisscrossing gonna, the world but it's we are be, going yeah. to deliver absolutely folks we've already been talking about what we're going to do in two weeks and how we're going to have to like do this at three o'clock in the morning but we do it because we love you we do it because we love you absolutely all right yes and uh that is it so uh tweet us up did you like the new intro did you hate the new intro let us know what you thought of it hopefully you dug it because uh we liked it um and uh for joe polizzi this is robert rose signing off tweet us up we do love those stories erica uh, uh, you know, thank you for that so much. Thank you all for that so much. Hashtag this old marketing. Um, and you know, 
If you've got a question and you like email, you can send us an email at thisoldmarketingatcontentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode, number 123, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links we talked about on the Today Show will be available in the show notes themselves and, of course, on the show post that will be available at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday. Until next week, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.